just blessed to have you out today. And a big happy spring break to all the students in the room. Yay, you guys are excited about that. Yeah, okay, awesome. So good to have you here. Yeah, and teachers too, and teachers too. Teachers are equally as excited. <laughs> all right. Well, today, as you are probably well aware, is a uh, special day in the church calendar, the Christian calendar. It marks the beginning of Passion Week. And today is, is Palm Sunday. And, and I just, you know, whenever Palm Sunday rolls around, it's always this reminder, not only of just how triumphant Jesus is, and like uh, Jessica talked about, how he's just a humble king, comes riding into Jerusalem on a colt, but it's also a reminder just of how fickle that we can be um, as human beings. One week they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then the very, not even seven days later, um, they're shouting, crucify him. And so Palm Sunday, as a, just a, a worshipful day as it is, it's, just, it's also a very sobering reminder of how our hearts, if we don't guard and we're not careful, can quickly shift. And, um, and, and the day is called, you know, it's interesting, it's, called the, it's, it's been called the triumphant entry throughout history. But it's also for Jesus, yes, it, he rode in in triumph, especially in light of what he was about to do. But for Jesus, it was actually a very sad moment. And uh, you read through the story of Palm Sunday, and he's, he's riding in, and we're going to talk a little bit about this in the sermon, but as he's riding in, he becomes so overwhelmed with sorrow um, because his people, God's people, who he's been pursuing literally for millennia, he knows what's about to happen. And there's this moment at the, 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 the end of the triumphant in, uh, entry, as Jesus is on this colt, he sees Jerusalem and the Bible says he was so overcome with emotion that he actually wept. One of the few times in the Bible that it describes Jesus weeping. But he's looking out over the city and everything that Jerusalem represents and everything that's about to happen. His people turning their backs on him, nailing him to a cross, and, and he, he, he just is overcome with emotion. And so this morning, we, we def we're here in light of the resurrection and everything that Christ has done on the cross, but, but uh it's also a, just the start of this week where we just reflect on the gravity of what, of, of everything that Passion Week represents. It represents God's love for us. It represents how he is so for us that he would go to the cross to pay the price for our sin. And so this week, it, it being a special week, we have um, a lot of things planned as a church and that, that are going to help you to just kind of— uh, just kind of sit in what every, everything that this week is all about. So this Friday, we have a Good Friday service, and that's going to take place at um, our CTK Bellingham campus. And so all of our, our churches across the, our network are going to join together. At the service is at 6 o'clock. And uh, I don't know if this is a typical thing that you do as part of your, your uh, Easter week traditions, but if it's not, I encourage you to do it because it's, it's, it's always a powerful service. And honestly, there's a, there's a few services throughout the year that have become uh, just highlights of mine. Good Friday is always one of those nights um, where it's just we, we focus, shine the light on the cross and everything that Jesus did. And so if you can make it, we'd love to have you there. It's at 6 o'clock, and uh, we have uh, child care for kids ages 2 and under. And uh, then on Easter, we have our Easter service at 1030. 
and uh, show up early because it's going to, we're just doing one service and it's going to be packed in here. But we're going to put out all of our seats and we're going to have a big massive party in here <laughs> celebrating everything that Jesus has done. And so you won't want to miss out on that. But that's uh, 1030 this coming Sunday. And then after that, we're going to have a, a big fun Easter egg hunt for uh, the kids and also the kids of our community. So if you know any families with children, if you have any friends with kids, uh, we'd love to have them be a part of our Easter egg hunt that we're going to do somewhere around 12 o'clock. And on that note, after the service today, there's going to be a team that's going to be, it's going to be in this field over here, and they're going to be back there clearing out the, the garbage, whatever might be back there, some, some thorn bushes. And if you have uh, some time this afternoon, I'm sure they'd love to have you do it. It's, it should just take, I, I don't think that long, but that's going to be after the service today. And also, one more thing. After the service today, it's the, se it's the first Sunday of the month, which means it's uh, Cookie Sunday. <laughs> you guys are catching on. You're catching on. You got the big reminder on the, the last Sunday of the month. Next week is Cookie Sunday. Clear the calendar. Scra just scratch your trip that you had planned to Hawaii for spring break. It is Cookie Sunday. We're staying. We're staying. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you'll want to make sure you hang out this after, just after church. And uh, it, even if you can just stay for a few minutes, even if you don't have time to stay at all, uh, there's usually so many cookies left over because the, the, uh, the, this church just loves cookies, I guess. And so, so make sure you grab some cookies. Otherwise, a lot of them tend to end up at my house, which is both a good thing and a bad thing, but <laughs> awesome. Okay, we're going to jump into the scripture here pretty quick this morning. And uh, I got a... A big chunk of scripture that we're going to read right off the bat. And typically, typically when we read scripture on a Sunday morning, you might have noticed that you don't usually hear me read like a long text at once because if you're anything like me, when you listen to someone read it for a long period of time, it's very easy to zone out. But this whole text, I thought that we should read this at one, just all together because of uh, just, it really pieces together where we're going this morning. Um, but just before we, we read it, we're going to be, be actually reading out of Romans chapter 4, verse 16. And uh, the first section of this, this, uh, section, this chap chapter, well, kind of two chapters, half of one chapter and half of another chapter. But the first section is all about Abraham. If you've been around church for any length of time, you probably know who Abraham is. Um, Abraham is uh, the man who is the, the father of the Jewish in the Arab people. And so on the planet today, you have right around half a billion people, around 500 million people who are descendants of this man, Abraham. And what's really amazing about Abraham is that, so he was around probably uh, roughly 5,000 years ago. If you would have told Abraham, back when it was just Abraham and his wife, Sarah, if you would have told Abraham way back 5,000 years ago, hey, in about 5,000 years, Abraham, you're going to have roughly half a billion people are going to be your descendants. Abraham would have probably just gone, yeah, I know. Awesome, isn't it? He knew. And, and the reason he, he knew is because God had told Abraham that this would happen. Um, one starry night, Abraham, I mean, just imagine if you've ever been out in the the woods or some place where you're far from a city, far from a town. It's, it's maybe it's a, a summer's night. It's blue. The, the sky is clear, and there's, there's no light pollution. There's no lights from a city around. 
And, and you know on those nights how you get this, the stars are just, there. you see them all kind of thing. Well, of course, back in these days, there's no lights at all. And imagine one night, Abraham is probably out there uh, doing whatever he's doing. And as he looks up at the starry sky, just kind of mesmerized, he, he hears God whisper to his soul, Hey, Abraham, look at all these, these stars. You're, you're actually going to have your, your children and children and grandchildren and, and so on are going to be as numerous as the stars of this sky. And another occasion, God actually said, um, he didn't compare his descendants to the number of stars. He compared his descendants to the sand on a seashore and told Abraham, he made Abraham this promise that he was going to have all these descendants. And Abraham just knew it would happen. He believed it would happen because God told him it would happen. For Abraham, though, there, there was one big problem uh, with this promise that God had made. And that problem, um, which w really wasn't, as we're going to see this morning, a problem for God, but the problem was that him and his wife Sarah could not get pregnant. And uh, they, were, they were childless. And they kept trying and trying to have uh, a baby, but nothing changed. Um, I imagine at first that maybe wasn't, wasn't an issue, and, and Abraham probably thought, okay, God made me this problem. Maybe it's going to be next year. And, but, but five years went by, and, and there was still no baby. And uh, ten years would go by, still, still no baby. They kept trying and trying and trying. Nothing changed until one day Abraham is 100 years old. You heard that right. 100 years old, and his wife Sarah was 90 years old. And uh, they had a baby. And Abraham didn't give up. Uh, most people would stop believing at some point along the way the promise that God had made. They'd probably go, I must have just been hearing things. I was, I was outside. Maybe it was the cold air just got to me or whatever, and I didn't hear right. But not Abraham. Against all the odds, God does a miracle. Sarah gets pregnant, and she delivers a baby boy named Isaac. And many, many years later, the Apostle Paul, this is thousands of years later, after Jesus has, has died on the cross and rose again and ascended up to heaven, the Apostle Paul retells the story of, of Abraham's journey, highlighting the faith and the hope of Abraham. So we're going to be, like I said, in Romans chapter 4, verse 16, and it goes like this. For Abraham is the father of... Of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God, and, and you gotta catch this, this phrase here. It's so good. He believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Listen, God wants to do this in somebody here today. God wants to do this in somebody here today. Um, he wants to take a relationship that's dead. Maybe he wants to take a dream that you have or had that has died. Maybe a promise that he's made to you that has seemed dead. Maybe a hope that you once had that was alive and just, and, and, and it was just there. He wants, he wants to make that alive again. Maybe you're here this morning you, and you came in or you're, you're watching online and, and you, your life is dead because of sin. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. Listen, I believe that we don't just show up on church on Sunday to sing songs and listen to some dude preach. I believe we show up on Sunday because God wants to make dead things come back to life. He wants to make dead things come back to life. 
And that is the kind of God we serve. Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. You might be here today and say, my life, I just feel like it's nothing. Nothing. What do I have to give God? I'm broken. I made so many mistakes. Listen, the God that we serve brings the dead back to life and creates new things out of nothing. The Bible goes on to say that even when there was no reason for hope, remember, Abraham is an old guy here. Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. God had made him this promise. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Abraham's not living in denial here. He's not looking in the mirror at all of his wrinkles and gray hair and whatever and saying, no, I'm actually, this can still happen. No, he, he knows that his body's as good as dead. He's, he's, he sees the reality of the situation. He's like, this body though, yeah, there's no more gas in the tank. Um, no more spark in the engine. Not a whole lot of getting it on with Sarah anymore these days. But he keeps on believing. <laughs> Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. Catch that. He never wavered. He never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Then the Bible continues saying, And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit, too, assuring us that God will also count us righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. So the Bible's just talking here about how when we put our faith in God, when we believe, and, and God sees that, that faith and that trust, he, he makes us right with him. Before we have this moment, there is hostility between us and God. Whether you know it or not, there's hostility between you. And, and when you put your faith and trust in Him, there's this, the peace that comes. And then Romans 5, 1 goes on to say, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege, where we now stand, and we confidently and we joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they can help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope, catch this, this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, and because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. We're going to talk this morning about how you can have a hope that does not disappoint. You can have a hope that does not disappoint. Do we have any uh, March Madness fans in the room here at all? Any, uh, a few of you, yeah, okay, I see, I see, I see, I see. Um, college, college basketball's annual... Uh, big dance is usually full of a lot of surprises and uh, one of the things that makes it such a popular sporting event is because you just you never know I mean it's it's 
it's it's uh, 64 teams. It's one game not knockout. You win your game. You move on. You lose your game. You're done for the season. And for some of these players, they're they're done. That's that's it for basketball for them. Um, but it's a tournament where anything can happen. Anything can happen. Um, Michael Jordan, uh, he has a ton of highlight reels from his his time playing in the NBA. But one of his biggest highlight reels actually happened during March Madness. It happened way back in 1982. He shot the game-winning shot for the, the North Carolina um, Tar Heels, and it was just this amazing moment. And then on the opposite side of the emotional spectrum, that's the, the amazing side, there's, there's Chris Weber back in 1993 playing for Michigan, the infamous timeout called in the very last few seconds, technical fouls called, and Michigan loses any chance they have at winning the championship. It's just that's how, how March Madness goes, right? Well, this year, the tournament's biggest surprise has, has, has been the size of the upsets that have happened. And this year's tournament had what was arguably the, the greatest upset ever in college basketball March Madness um, tournament history. Um, this year, uh, it, it was the, the first round. And for those of you that don't know how it works, there's these four brackets, and you have the number one team and the number 16 team, and the first game is always the number 16 team. So a team that's not expected to do very well playing against the number one team that's supposed to go on to the final four. And so one of these brackets, though, had a team, um, number one seeded Purdue, playing uh, number 16 seeded Fairla Dickinson. And if you're here going, okay, Fairla Dick Dickinson, who in the world are you talking about this morning? Um, you're not alone in that because most people hear about this, this, this college and are like, who in the world is that? No one's heard of these guys. The game was supposed to be an absolute cakewalk for Purdue. Um, they were coming into this tournament ranked fifth best team of all the teams overall. Um, meanwhile, Fairleigh Dickinson wasn't even supposed to be in the tournament. They were in, in the tournament simply because of a technicality that had taken place. Um, Purdue came into the tournament with, uh, make sure I get this right here, they had the, the, they were ranked number one in adjusted height. They had a player on their team that was seven foot four. I'm six four. This guy's got another foot on top of me. Meanwhile, this other team, um, Fairleigh Dickinson, they have the shortest team in all of Division I basketball. <laughs> the shortest team. They didn't have a single player over six six. And, and it was literally, you know, you hear this, this cliche that we talk about all the time in sports, a David versus Goliath type thing. This literally was like a David versus Goliath type, type game. Um, but none of that stuff mattered. Um, for only the second time in March Madness history, a number 16 team beat a number one team. And, and Purdue lost. And it was, it was an incredible, incredible thing. And after the game, I listened to the whole entire um, press conference because I was just curious to see how these guys from Purdue, you know, your, your hat kind of goes off to these guys that they even show up at a press conference after that kind of game. I don't know if it's in their contract or whatever. I don't know how it all works, but but they show up and they're being asked all these questions and they're 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 just obviously so sad and 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 the the one of the guys that was asked the question was the seven four guy and and he just explained. Uh, just how it felt in the moment. And he was trying to just put in the words the intense disappointment. He used words like, I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm stressed, and just ended up saying, just, it just stinks to end this way. 
And there's a lot of negative emotions that you, you experience in life, but, but somewhere near the top of the list is probably the emotion of disappointment. Disappointment. It is actually the, it, the polar opposite of hope. Disappointment is what you end up with when the thing that you had been hoping for doesn't, doesn't happen. Um, you're hoping to go through life healthy, and you just have this picture of how that's going to look, and you end up just maybe with a debilitating sickness, chronic illness. Um, you're hoping uh, maybe to you go into life maybe as a, a student, a teenager, and you just have all these big dreams and hopes, and, and you find yourself 30, 40 years later, and there's just no spark, there's no passion. You're doing something maybe that you don't even enjoy doing, and you feel locked there, you feel stuck there. It's, it's just disappointment. And the Bible is filled with stories of hope and disappointment. Hope and disappointment. So Palm Sunday, this day that we're, we're remembering and celebrating today, is a day that had a lot of hope. You know, all the people, as Jesus, he's become very famous. He's done all these miracles. He's been preaching. And people are believing that he's going to be the Messiah. He's going he, to be the Messiah that that sets up an earthly kingdom. He's going to have political power. He's going to kick out all the Romans and do all that kind of stuff. And just five days later, his lifeless body would be put in a tomb and a stone rolled over the entrance. Hope had shifted to disappointment. After his death, one of Jesus' followers actually put in the words what everybody else was feeling. He said, we had hoped he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. And then on Palm Sunday, like I mentioned earlier, we see the, the humanity of Jesus on display as he looks out over the city of Jerusalem and, and he, he, he weeps and he says these words. He says, if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but you didn't recognize me. One of the greatest enemies of hope is loss. Loss is kind of like this doorway to, to hopelessness. The doorway to despair. And it doesn't really matter if you're losing a big college basketball game, losing your childhood, maybe having a dream you once had, just disappear into thin air, loss of a good job, loss of a, a, a friend, maybe losing your kids as they head off to college, maybe losing your health. Loss causes a lot of people to lose hope. To lose hope. And, and of course, the greatest loss of all is death itself. And when Jesus is followers laid his body in that tomb, all of his followers' hopes were buried there with him. And, and I, a question I have for you this morning is, is, what have you lost that has caused you to lose hope? Where have you lost hope? Where have you lost hope? It could be a loss from this past week. It could be a loss that happened years ago that has left you changed in all kinds of ways that aren't good. The Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Where, and where has loss made your heart sick with disappointment? It's made your heart sick with despair. It's made your heart maybe sick with fear, with anger. I don't know what it might be, but hope deferred makes the heart sick. And then the other question I have for you today is, if you could have hope in your life that's strong and steadfast, a hope that doesn't fade when loss and disappointment hits you, would you want to have that hope today? Would you want to have that hope? Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but that verse goes on to say that a longing fulfilled, or, or hope, is a tree of life. It's a tree of life. You know, if there's one thing in life that we hope for more than anything else and are consistently disappointed in, 
especially here in the Pacific Northwest, is the weather. <laughs> it's the weather. You know, how many of you this week, you're like, man, it's spring break next week, and Monday is coming fast, and I, I hope it's, I hope, I hope this weather that we've had last week, you know, the weather just, it, it just plays tricks on us around here. It comes in with 63, 64 degrees, sunshine everywhere, the next day, bam, 40 degrees, nailing you in the face. You drive down the road, and you look at the mountains, and they're snowy again. <laughs> what in the world is going on? But, but we, we, we wish and we, we hope that the weather's good. And this, I hope the weather's good kind of hope is it, probably the, the most common kind of hope that, that people experience. You know, if there's different kinds of hope. This, this, this kind of, I wish, I hope that this happens is, is a very common kind of hope. But this is actually a weak hope. It's a weak hope. In fact, it's not even really hope at all, as we're going to look at it this morning. That is, that is more along the lines of wishful thinking. It's not much different than saying, man, I wish I'd win the lottery, or I, I wish my neighbors would move out, or I, I wish my car didn't always break down. The hope that we're after this morning is a hope that is so much better than that kind of a hope. Going back to, to Paul's retelling of the story of Abraham, one of the things that's amazing about Abraham's hope is that the Bible says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. There was no reason to hope. He is a hundred years old. It boggles my mind. But Abraham kept on hoping. Now, why would he do that? Why would he do that? You know, after five, ten years have passed, most of us would probably stop hoping at that point. Certainly after 25, 30 years have passed, of not being able to have a, a child, we're like, throw in the towel. 40, 50 years, it's, at that point, everybody's looking at you going, okay, you're just straight up crazy. There's no way this is going to happen. But, but Abraham, he somehow keeps hoping. He's not bitter. He's not angry. He's not d despairing God. He, he, he just keeps hoping, even though most of us, I think in that moment, would go, okay, yeah, he made a promise, but I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. You know, one of the things that I've, I've found about God, at least in my life, and I, and I know this is true probably of most of us, is that we love the promises of God, but we do not like the timelines of God. We love God's promises. Oh, how we love God's promises. We cling to those promises. We sing about those promises. And we, we come in here, we just celebrate those promises. But his timelines are a different thing. Train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. Great promise, Lord. God, could you please make that happen by the time my child is six? That would be awesome. <laughs> but feel that by the time they're six. What, what does God even consider old here? Have you ever thought about that? You know, God, th that's kind of open to interpretation. Different people have I different ideas of what's considered old. You know, I, I kind of feel like I'm still kind of a young buck in a lot of ways, just to be honest this morning. Um, my kids, though, would probably say, Rich, is, he's on his last leg of the journey. I mean, <laughs> he is, he's up there. Different ideas of old. God says to Abraham, though, you're going to become a great na nation— you're just gonna have to wait until you're a hundred years old. In fact, but God doesn't actually even say that part. Only God knows that part, which is probably a whole different sermon to like look into. Like why, why wouldn't God somehow let him know that he's gonna have to wait all this time? Maybe because he just wants to build his trust? I don't know. But he, he makes this promise to Abraham, and the timeline, though, is way different than what Abraham would have preferred. God works that way so often in our lives. He makes these promises, but man, we don't know 
about his timeline. But what's incredible about all this with, with Abraham is the Bible says that even though there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept on hoping. The world says no reason to hope, but God says, I made a promise. You can keep on hoping because I made that promise. The world says he's in the tomb. There's no hope. God says, no, I made a promise that three days later I would rise from the dead. So you can keep on hoping. And the Bible tells us that, that Abraham kept hoping. Why? This is what it says. For God had said to him, that's key, that, that that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. But the key phrase there is, God had said to him, and God had said to him, he could keep on hoping because it was going to happen. You know, the difference between the world's hope and the hope that we have as followers of Jesus is that our hope is not based on wishful thinking. Our hope is a confident, joy-filled anticipation over what God will do in the future based on what he's done in the past and based on who he is. That is the kind of hope that we have. It's not a hope that's based on the circumstances. You know, if the circumstances are looking good, you know, for Abraham, he, he's, they're trying to have a baby, and he sees that, that Sarah's getting pregnant, and oh, his hope springs up. The hope that we have is not based on our circumstances. It is based on who God is and what he's done in the past. That is the anchor of our hope. And when I'm tempted to go to despair, when I'm tempted to go to fear, when I'm tempted to doubt the promises and the character of God, I just have to look at what he's already done. Look at what he's already done. You know, if he can bring a child to a 90 and 100 year old couple, he can do what he says he's going to do. If he can be in the grave, stone cold dead, and be raised back to life, he can do what he says he's going to do. The Bible says Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. I mean, Abraham didn't even have Easter. We have Easter. We have everything that this week represents. Our God was, he was in that, that tomb dead and he came back to life. We have his Holy Spirit in us. We have been blessed with every blessing in heavenly places. We stand in this place, the Bible says, of undeserved privilege. And according to Scripture, now confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Our hope isn't anchored in our circumstances. Our hope is anchored in the reality that Jesus is no longer dead, but he is alive. He's alive. He's alive. And if God can bring the dead back to life, surely, surely he can be faithful to fulfill the promises that he's made to you and me. Well, Rich, what about all the trials? What about all the stuff that I have to go through? God, Rich, what about those times where I'm just suffering and there's, life is just being thrown at me and I'm just being worn down? And, and Rich, what about those times? How do I keep hope alive when the world around me is caving in? That's a great question. It's a great question. Some of you in this room are, are in that boat right now. You're going, I want hope so bad, but, but how, how can I hope in the middle of everything that's going on? Here's how we keep hope alive. We keep hope alive by trusting that God is who he says he is and by recognizing, as Scripture says, that problems and trials help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And the, the, for the follower of Jesus, problems and trials don't have to be the end of hope. 
not when you know who God is and not when you know what he's promised you. And, and I know sometimes like when you're, when you're in the middle of a situation that seems hopeless, hearing something like this can almost be sort of like, it doesn't really make you feel very good. You know, it's like that, that, that team in the basketball tournament, they're, they had lots of hope going into the, the, the game and they're, they're planning on winning this thing, but there's only a minute left and they're down 50 points and they know they're going to lose and, and they get in the huddle and coach says, hey, we still have a chance. And they're like, Are you, like do you have any clue what's going on here? It actually probably makes them a little upset in that moment. And, and God's saying here that problems and trials actually help us develop in, endurance. And I think on, on the, the cover, that can look, at, look like something that's like, I don't know if I need that right now. I just need my hope back. But there's something in here that I think that God wants us to see. And, and, it, and something in here that will cause hope to be restored and cause hope to spring back to life. And, and, and what I, want, I think God wants to see here is that you have Christ in you, and God's word declares that this reality is the hope of, of, of glory. His glory is his goodness. His glory is his love. It's, it's his joy. It's his, his, his faithfulness. And it doesn't matter what you're going through in life. These can all be you, or all be for you as you endure because it strengthens you and it develops hope. But, but here's the key. Enduring is not just about like hanging on by, the, by, the, by your fingernails as you're, you're, you're just about to fall off the edge of a cliff and just barely surviving. Although at times, it can absolutely seem like that. Enduring is ultimately about doing what we see Abraham doing here. He had an endurance that turned to strength. And his endurance, you know, a lot of times we think endurance and we, we immediately go to like physical endurance. But his endurance wasn't so much about physical endurance as it was about enduring right in here. He endured in his faith. He endured in his confidence. He endured in that he kept his mind convinced and focused on who God is, convinced that God is able to do what he said he's going to do. The Bible put it like this. It says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And, and the amazing thing about this hope we have in Jesus is that when we, we, we keep our, our hearts in our minds, like a few weeks ago we talked about fixing our eyes on Jesus. When you, when you choose to stay in that place of hope, you stay in that place like Abraham was in, of being fully persuaded that God is able to do what he said he's going to do. You stay in that place and you endure in that place. You don't let the voices of doubt, the voices of despair have their way, but instead you endure, you stay in hope. Hope springs to life in that place. It springs to life in that place. And here's the amazing thing about this hope that we have in Jesus, is that even when you're on your deathbed, even when you're on your deathbed, you can be filled with hope. Because death isn't the end, it's, it is only the beginning. Paul would, would write in another place here, he said, if all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up, the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. We have this hope in Christ that even when we face what the world would call the ultimate loss in this life, life itself, we have this hope that we're going to see Jesus we're going to have eternal life. And on that day, we will fall at the feet 
of Jesus encountering him face to face and will forever be in the all-satisfying, glorious presence of God. And when you see him, there will be no more pain or suffering. Nothing will compare to that moment. The Bible says that, that every single momentary struggle, trial that we have in this life, it's just, it's, it, no matter the size of it, every bout with cancer, with the loss of a loved one, every worry, fear, struggle, with addiction, overwhelming sense of failure, whatever it might be, it will become but a distant memory on the winds of time in the presence of Jesus. That is the hope. That is the hope that we have. That is the hope that we have because of the cross and because of the empty tomb. And that is where we place our hope. And Jesus, he said, we have eternal life. Eternal life. And if he said it, we believe it. It's going to happen. Is it wishful thinking? No, it's who he is. It's who he is. And when we look at the empty tomb, we look back and we go, and it's what he's done. It's what he's done. He's conquered death. My God can make dead things come back to life. So I will choose to hope. I'll choose to hope. There's two ways that, that you can look at human history. One way is to focus on all the pain and suffering you know, look at all the wars and the violence and the tragedy and the death. And when you look at history through that kind of lens, you, you kind of see the resurrection as just like this, this fairy tale exception to everything else in the middle of all this tragedy of human history. There's another way, though, to look at, at history, and it's to see the empty tomb as the starting point. It's proof that God is alive. It's proof that God says that who God says he is, he is. And, and the resurrection isn't just this, this, this glimpse and this preview of what's to come down the road of life that's to come. No, it's, it's this, this, this thing that's for now. It's for now. And when you see it like that, hope begins to rise. You know, it's interesting for the disciples. Um, you know, they, they watched Jesus be crucified and they... They saw the empty tomb, and then they were there in the, the upper room when Jesus came and he showed up. But on the outside, the world really hadn't changed a whole lot. It hadn't changed. The Romans were still in charge of the land. The land was still occupied by the Romans. In fact, the, the situation would actually get much worse in years to come as the Romans would just come in and demolish everything. Um, the disciples, they, they had a bounty on their head. I mean, they were hunted guys. Death and evil still reigned outside. But if God raised Jesus from the dead, if God raised Jesus from the grave, then everything had actually changed. Everything had changed. We're free to experience and know that that new life that maybe you just have only dreamt about, free to have hope that can only be found in Jesus. And when you see what God has done through the resurrection, you and me, we can have hope. Our hope is not based on our circumstances. Our hope is based on who Jesus is and what he's done. Based on what he's done. Where do you need hope today? Where do you need hope today? And as we wrap up this morning, I want to pray for you and ask that God would come and just restore his hope. Restore his hope in you. And, and, and let hope arise inside of your soul in a way that maybe you haven't had for years. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, 
I just want to thank you so much, God, for this week and everything that it represents. God, I, I can't imagine the despair that your followers were experiencing and feeling as they saw you hanging on that cross on that Good Friday. Hope, it seemed like hope was, was completely gone. But God, you took that hopeless situation the cross to the grave. You took that hopeless situation and you completely switched it around. God, you brought life out of that. God, you brought victory out of that. You brought freedom. You brought salvation out of that hopeless situation. And Lord, I thank you that this morning, Lord, you know every situation, God, that's going on in hearts this morning, God, whether in this room or those that are watching online, God, you know what's happening in, in souls. God, I imagine there's, there's some people here right now that have just forgotten what hope even tasted like. It's been so long since they've known hope. And God, I just want to ask this morning, God, not, not necessarily, Lord, that a, a sense or a feeling of hope would arise, but God, I pray that something even deeper than that, God, would take place deep down inside their soul this morning. I pray, God, that, that this morning, Lord, they would just have a hope that begins to grow. Uh, God, like that, that tree of life that, that Scripture talks about, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick, but a longing it, that, that comes to be is like a tree of life. God, I pray that that would begin to grow inside of hearts and souls this morning where hope has been lost. God, let it be restored. Let it be restored today. God, where you've made promises. God, I don't know what those promises are, but God, you've made promises. God, maybe for someone in the room, it has to do with their kids. God, you made a promise to them, and, and it looks, God, based on the circumstances, God, it looks like that promise isn't being fulfilled. But God, I pray this morning that hope would arise, and that God, that their hope would not be based on the circumstances and how things look on the outside, but based on what you said, and what you've done in the past, and what you're going to do again. Let hope arise, let faith arise this morning. God, maybe for somebody else in the room, Lord, you've, you spoke to them at some point in the past. God, maybe as a teenager, God, you just, you, you put something in their heart, maybe a dream, maybe a word, maybe just something you wanted to do in their lives, but God, as they look around at their life today, it's just so far away from what you said you were going to do. Maybe they just have put that thing on the shelf and have completely forgot about it, but this morning, God, you're, you were reminding them, and you're saying, hey, that's, I meant what I said back then. And God, this morning, you want them to, to come back to unwavering belief, unwavering hope, just like Abraham had. God, maybe for somebody else, it's, it's a promise that you made in Scripture about your goodness and about your faithfulness. And, and Lord, this morning, as they look around at their lives and everything that's going on, the brokenness, God, maybe someone else just look, looks around at their life and it just, it's tragedy after tragedy. And they go, yeah, is God really faithful? He said he was faithful. He said he's good. He, he said he's for me, but I'm not really sure looking around at my circumstances. Oh, God, I pray this morning that, God, you remind them, God, of the promise that you made, that you are indeed faithful, that, God, you have not changed, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that, God, their circumstances do not dictate your character, that, God, you are for them. Remind them this morning, God, God, despite the circumstances, remind them, God, that you are for them today. And, God, let hope arise. Let faith arise. Let life arise, God, in hearts today.
God, I pray that this week, Jesus, as we go into Passion Week, remembering all that you've done for us, I pray, Jesus, that our hearts would just be able to be anchored, God, once again in who you are. You are faithful. You are a God of love. You are a God that, that puts us in a place of undeserved privilege, sons and daughters of the King of Kings, because of what you've done on the cross. God, I pray that this week you would just cause our hearts and our minds just to be, God, just overcome with gratitude and thanksgiving, God, and just a, a new love and appreciation for all that you've done for us. Thank you so much for all that you have done. And Father, I pray, Lord, that as we go out of here today, that God, you would help us just to have a, a spirit of endurance, a spirit of endurance. And God, may that endurance be that we are going to endure in believing the promises of God. We're going to stay faithful in believing what you said you would do. Faithful in believing that you are who you say you are. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, 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 amen. Awesome. Hey, this week, um, again, we got some, some just great things planned to focus in on the cross and the resurrection. And would love to have you be a part of that. And uh, we're going to wrap up our time this morning by singing one last song. I'm going to have you stand with us. And uh, if you are here this morning and maybe you're just going, I need some hope in my life. I'd encourage you, find someone. Maybe you came with somebody. Uh, just say, hey, I'd love to have you pray with me. I'm just in a bad place. I haven't had hope and I don't know how long. Um, if you didn't come with someone, find me. I would love to pray with you. I believe that God will meet you here this morning in a powerful way if you need some hope and would love to pray with you. Um, I'll be hanging out for a little bit. Um, but get some prayer. If you need some prayer, get some prayer before you leave. Um, as we sing this last song, there's going to be a bucket that goes down your row. It's, it's uh, our offering bucket, and it's uh, just one of the ways that we as a church show our gratitude to God. If you're a guest, you don't have to give this morning, um, but let the bucket pass you by, and we just are, are super thankful that you're here. But let's go out this morning with worship and head into this week, Passion Week, just with a heart of praise to Jesus for all he's done. God bless.